episode 199, The Unrealized Value Hidden Inside Some Health Systems. Today, I speak with James Nichols, who is the managing director over at Fitzroy Health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. These days, hospital systems cannot rely on simply doing more procedures as a way to increase their top and bottom line. Payers, and by payers I mean those actually footing the bill, like employers, taxpayers, and patients, simply cannot afford the low-value volume that fee-for-service has historically driven. So how can a hospital system optimize their bottom line in this ecosystem? By considering their inefficiencies, is one surprising answer. Fitzroy Health helps hospital systems who have fixed inefficiencies to scale and commercialize their infrastructure and processes. And Fitzroy Health also helps hospital systems still struggling with those same inefficiencies to outsource or purchase the solutions their peers may have commercialized. Today, I speak with James Nichols, Managing Director over at Fitzroy Health, about the possibilities here. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, James. Thanks, Stacey. Good to be here. So what is this significant value in health systems that you might be looking to unlock? In other words, what is it that a health system might be doing that they might not even realize has value outside of the four walls of that institution? Well, hospitals historically and health systems more recently are pretty extraordinary places. They're enormous, they're complex, and they obviously known for delivering care to patients and to communities. But in order to do that, a lot of things have to be delivered in support or alongside the core medical activities. And along the way, a lot of the challenges that have been identified and then ultimately solved by the hospitals are experienced by hospitals all around the country. And so what is interesting to us is to identify what are some of the things that are difficult and problematic for hospitals, how and where have they been solved, and can that solution be bottled up? and provided to other hospitals who have experienced the same problems but who have not yet solved it. So there are many examples of areas of excellent innovation. How do you educate all of your nurses uh, about a particular new mode of care? What is the best way to manage food services? What is the best way to schedule staffing? What is the best way to manage your real estate portfolio? There are many, many examples of operational excellence that exist with inside health systems that aren't necessarily looked at as areas of obvious innovation. It goes without saying that in addition to that, there are a lot of incredible scientific and medical breakthroughs that are being generated all the time uh, within hospitals. But we want to make sure that we don't exclude some of the other less obvious areas of excellence because they equally represent value. 
there's a lot of attention on moonshot innovation, but incremental innovation, the day-to-day, as you said, the immediate innovation can be just as compelling. Well, I think it is also a matter of relevance. How many hospitals, depending on how you define it, let's say three to 5,000 hospitals in the US are capable of delivering a moonshot and sharing that with mankind? There aren't terribly many. There are many hospitals doing incredible work all around the country and indeed around the world. Furthermore, the return on the innovation or the investment in innovation is, as you say, much more immediate. It's not just that they're addressing immediate needs. It's that the realization of that innovation or the investment in the innovation is much more immediate. So let's take the Navicent example. Navicent is a progressive health system that's servicing the central and South Georgia markets. It has net patient revenues of well north of a billion dollars. It represents to us an example of firstly identifying and then capturing a lot of the latent value. The management of non-full-time nurses, firstly the recruitment and then the retention and then the management of flex pool nurses was identified as an area of capabilities that they wanted to extend and do more of and also represented what Fitzroy saw as a solution that was broadly needed around the country. From Fitzroy's perspective, we saw not just a willing partner, but a set of characteristics that existed at Navicent that made it likely that we could have a commercial success. And Navicent's interest in generating non-core revenue or non-medical and reimbursed revenue aligned our interests. We're interested in in building profitable companies that can grow and scale and, and be market leaders. And they shared that interest, but didn't have the, the commercial capabilities to pull it off. We've been able to take alongside Magnificent a set of capabilities and turn it into something that is generating real value, not just for the health system, but now generating profits by servicing other health systems. Other examples like education, our work with NYU and others represent a different kind of commercialization activity where you're starting with the benefit of a globally recognized education and healthcare brand and extending it. But there are other examples like Navicent where you're able to create value out of less obvious building blocks. Okay, so Fitzroy goes in and you work with Navicent. Wow, you guys have something super interesting here. And you help them build it out so that it is scalable or reproducible or you create a multi-tenant database, whatever you guys are doing in order to help them facilitate a product. Then you go out into the market and say, hey, you know, you wave the marketing flag. Like, how do other institutions realize that this is something that is available and is the value prop there greater because it's coming from a peer institution than if a startup had created a similar solution or are there downsides? Well, I think you've hit on a really important point and that is the demand that exists in the market. And there are two ways to test the demand in the market to make sure that what you're building or creating has commercial relevance and therefore will gain some traction. The top-down analysis that any organization would do when they're developing a business plan is to look at the macro trends to try to identify areas of challenges and therefore opportunities. In this case, there is a national 
nursing shortage that we're probably in the first third of, and it's projected to go for anywhere from another five to 10 to 12 years. But I think it's safe to say that there's wide acceptance of a nursing shortage. So that's an example of a broad trend that is pretty standard and and obvious opportunity to pursue to try to solve that problem. But then the bottoms up demand is what kind of inbound interest or questions have been submitted to a health system about something that they have done? What other hospitals have reached out to the CEO or the chief nursing executive and said, are you guys struggling with this as well? Because this is really difficult and we heard that you're doing X, Y, or Z and that's really interesting to us. Tell us more. And when you start to get those especially unsolicited inbound questions from other hospitals or peers, that's pretty interesting to us at Fitzroy. We love the healthcare industry generally, but one feature that is really gratifying and somewhat unique is the amount of collaboration that exists within market participants that usually would be competitive. And if you can capture that willingness to learn and you can match problems to solutions, we think that's a pretty interesting commercial equation. And so in the case of, of Navicent, you know, inbound expressions of, of challenge from other health executives that were struggling with recruitment and wondering if they could do more with variable labor uh, and having a number of quick phone calls that could be made to test the assumptions about the demand that existed for uh, an excellent nurse, uh, variable nurse management solution and platform. That's bottoms up market testing, testing that demand that's crucial to the success of any of these new ventures. Is it the case that the sell cycle is you know, shorter, longer, or the same because the solution is coming from the use case? <laughs> that is a fundamental premise. And that is solutions built within hospitals have immediate relevance and the business propositions are de-risked significantly because so many of the operational, political and other less obvious factors have at least been considered if they haven't been fully thought of. You're working in a live environment and you can reassure the potential buyers or the potential users of the service that you know what it's like. This works because we've had these issues as well. We've already you know, had challenges with IT or it integrates with the EMR this way. There's no end of challenges that uh, only a hospital perspective and experience could solve. Uh, and we see value in that. And as a result, to answer your question, there is a much greater willingness to buy a product or a solution that has been developed by a hospital because there's a confidence that it will work and a lot of the the wrinkles will have been ironed out necessarily. So yeah, the shorter sales cycle is one of the benefits, greater level of confidence, lower levels of diligence because you don't have to test simulated environments, are all great benefits to the rolling out and the expansion of businesses that have been developed within a health system. Although one of the points that you touched on is that health systems may have in the past regarded themselves as competitive. 
So what is the business case or the motivation maybe for a health system in effect to assist those that at least formerly may have been viewed as competitive? The U.S. is very large. The U.S. healthcare industry is enormous. And the competitive environments, while they are expanding because of consolidation and health systems getting bigger and bigger, yeah, they are still often regional. And so at the most basic level, there are plenty of opportunities to sell business solutions that have come from one hospital into completely non-competitive hospitals or markets that are geographically distant. But I think the more interesting point is that a lot of the innovations we see coming from the cost side of the business and that there are cost centers that internally at hospitals could look like profit centers if they had scale. And the only way they can get scale is if health systems can collaborate and to partner. So we're seeing an increase in the number of health systems that are willing to collaborate on non-competitive support functions because at a minimum, it'll reduce their cost base, which is good. And potentially, if there is equity or some other value in which the health systems are participating and sharing, they can all benefit in the upside as well. So that is complicated. Hospitals are notoriously bureaucratic and difficult. And to use the herding cats analogy, that would be an extremely generous description of the hospital market. But nevertheless, there is evidence of it. And we think that on the cost side, willingness to collaborate can actually bring the health systems together and have aligned interests so long as they're not going after the, the competitive top line activities. What that looks like in practice is that someone figures out they could automate a process. But in order to automate the process, they'd have to actually build some infrastructure. And it just doesn't make sense to build that level of infrastructure, given the volume of whatever is going to run through it for just that institution. But they have it all figured out. Or, or maybe they built it, but they realize that it could certainly scale. So that's the motivation. They already have whatever it is that's built. And by processing other people's data or whatever it is that they're actually doing and enabling other people to use this built out system, they can make money off of something that they built in order to handle an internal function. That's exactly right. And health systems are already pretty actively looking at any areas that are appropriate and right for outsourcing. And so in many cases, they're looking at a, an external provider of those services anyway. So the question is, is there a compelling enough reason either because the service or the product is superior or that there are preferred economic terms that a hospital would source those services from a business that had been spun out of another hospital? But ultimately, I think they look like other market participants. In the earlier stages, there is the benefit of demonstrating that it has been successful in other hospitals and that it has been built with a hospital's mindset. Certainly with Flex Health, a workforce management platform and float pool management business, it is because it was developed inside hospitals with all of those really difficult issues at hand that gives that business a leg up over the other independent organizations that have not come out of health systems that had to develop their expertise from the outside first. Is there a particular reason why right now 
Is what you're doing timely because of other things that are going on in the healthcare marketplace or ecosystem? Yes. It's pretty simple that the vast majority of hospitals and health systems in this country, if they continue at the pace they're at, will become insolvent in the out years. The reimbursement rates over the last three years and the operating margins have been as bad as they've ever been. This is not new information. This is widely accepted. And it is being forced in very real time for the health systems and their boards to have conversations about what are we going to do? We can only cut costs so much. We need to generate alternative sources of revenue or non-core revenue. And what we're seeing very quickly, as in measured in weeks and months, not months and years, is the establishing of dollar targets for non-core revenue that the health systems have to hit in order to be viable entities in three, four, five, six years out. And then the, or the urgency is more acute than it has been, even frankly, from last year. We've been at this for a number of years now. Some of the more progressive health systems were feeling the need to act on the non-core revenue side uh, for a while. But I can't imagine that there's a health system out there that isn't thinking about what else can we do on the revenue side in order to supplement or offset the many challenges they're facing on the core revenue and the traditional sources of revenue. I know in, you know, historically how hospitals or health systems have increased revenue is by simply offering more procedures. Maybe you just want to talk a little bit about why that traditional revenue model isn't working as well any longer. Yeah, it's pretty simple, really. The reimbursement rates for the traditional procedures on average decreasing. And at the same time, the incentives for value-based care or, or population health or any other non-traditionally reimbursed clinical activities is increasing. And that requires a pretty significant shift in the way uh, financial interests are established, all the incentives are interest the incentives are established at the hospitals. By simply doing more what used to be hips and knees or cabbages or any any of the big money makers of, of yesteryear just won't do it by advertising you know, being the best of a particular kind of procedure, which historically has been a way to generate more revenue, is a blunt instrument that doesn't work anymore because the dollars just either aren't there or the prospects for those dollars being there are not good. There aren't many health systems that have really worked it out uh, because we are in the middle of the shift right now. And so the need to identify other sources of revenue that are not tied to the either traditional or value-based care reimbursement models is really important because you know there's less risk attached to either the execution or the actual revenue dollars if it's not part of the the core care delivery now these don't get me wrong these numbers are somewhat marginal these non-core revenue targets are absolutely marginal compared to how a health system makes its money or generates a revenue. And it's also marginal, frankly, to its mission of caring for people. But it's not insignificant. And we think that it's, that it's growing. Well, I don't, I don't know that I would agree that it's tangential to the mission of caring for people. And, and let me give you an example. It might, might even have been Chris Cornu 
when I interviewed him, he said that a nun had told him at some juncture, no margin, no mission. And if costs are so high, you know, everything has an opportunity cost, right? So if you're being very inefficient on the back end, and, and you said something which struck me, you can only cut costs so much. But one of the things that I see in hospitals, and it confuses me, I have to say, well, it sort of doesn't but it upsets me, is just the gross inefficiency. And I don't think anyone would disagree. Like as a patient, you walk in, you're given a form that you fill out with your terrible handwriting for the seventh time. Then somebody scans it. I'm going to assume someone else keys it in. And then, you know, on the back end, someone's shredding all that paper. I don't even know where it goes. I mean, I can just imagine the expense that is generated by just the amount of of forms filled out that are happening these days. You know what I mean? Like, how is that even possible in the age of iPads, incurring incremental costs every single day? So how does being able to band together to cut some of these costs or outsource or how are we helping hospitals get through this transition phase where I'm sure everyone understands what would be a better way to do it? But obviously, there's some barrier to getting there. Otherwise, everyone would be there already. Well, you raise an important point, and that is what is core to the mission and what is even core revenue. I am defying core revenue as reimbursable revenue. And of course, those revenues then have to be very high in order to pay for the inefficiencies that you rightly point out. Now, in fairness, uh, health systems are hugely complicated organizations. There are a lot of reasons for the efficiencies. Many of them are inexcusable. That's true. But the reality is getting rid of them is is really difficult. So if you look in aggregate at a health system and the ability to drive down costs, they're huge. Don't, don't get me wrong. They're very, very significant. If you just look at labor costs and what it costs to recruit and retain labor, for instance, that, in some respects, is secondary to the actual delivery of the care, except for the fact if you don't find the labor, you can't provide the care. And so they're completely interconnected. In that sense, I agree. It's central to the core mission. A lot of these ancillary or adjacent activities, they're central to the ability for a health system to efficiently deliver care. It's just that you don't get reimbursed for recruiting. You don't get reimbursed for your food services or, or any of the other areas. But delivering care more efficiently in aggregate is absolutely part of the mission. And no margin, no mission, I think, is a perfectly reasonable little saying to to stick by. You know, I also think that it, it is all the issues that you just mentioned. It's a two-sided issue. In some senses, it would be reasonable to say, why would I ever go to another hospital to become more efficient? Like it, it's the blind leading the blind. And A, that's not entirely fair. But B, you're also missing the fact that there are no shortcuts in healthcare. And that there are often very good reasons why we found ourselves in an inefficient way that we have. And you know, simply thinking outside the box and hoping, therefore, that that's going to be a viable operation for a health system isn't good enough. It needs to have been fully executed, fully vetted in the health system environment. And that's why we think some of the solutions in the future of healthcare will have come from health systems. Not all of them, and they shouldn't. But a number of them will, and we're excited to help identify them. 
How tough is it to move a solution from one care setting to another care setting? Is there a lot that gets lost in translation as the culture is different? The underlying processes might be different. Somebody's using Epic. Somebody's using Cerner. I mean, how easy is it? Well, it's not easy is the short answer. And the best way to think about it is looking at a list of all of the risks and trying to eliminate as many of them as possible. And that's the process we go through when we're prioritizing commercialization opportunities for hospitals. Let's look at all of the things that could and presumably will go wrong in commercializing a capability or an asset. And let's eliminate as many as possible. So let's eliminate things that are capabilities that are peculiar to your particular market or environment, because we don't have a high level of confidence that will be relevant anywhere else. Let's eliminate anything that requires heavy integration with a, a one specific EMR, just to use your example. And let's make sure that we're not reliant on just the market for one particular EMR. There are so many things that can go wrong. Uh, We obviously have a a process that we go through to just eliminate as many risks as possible. And one of our criterion is replicability. And within that, there are countless sub points that we go through to make sure that it can achieve a threshold of commercial viability and replicability. So it's hard is the answer to the question. And hard is bad when you're trying to start a company. So we're trying to remove as many of the challenges as possible. Most of the challenges, the hardest challenges is inevitably behavior change. And anyone who's worked in healthcare for any period of time will know that that is usually the you know, defining make or break criterion. You can have the best technology, but if people don't use it, it's no good. And we spend a lot of time looking at what needs to be true for this solution, either service or technology, to actually deliver the expected value as it relates to behavior change, how how much behavior change is required. We spend quite a lot of time looking at that. But if we look at the question of how hard is it, often the most impactful function in that equation is the behavior change quotient. So I wish I could say it were easy, but I suspect that's why there aren't a lot of people doing this. It's hard and you need to understand the complexities and the nuances of the health system environment. I've heard it said that the technology is a lot of times the easy part. (laughs) It's getting people to use the technology that can get tricky. But, you know, at the end of the day, is it any harder than if you're a startup or a technology company, not another hospital? Is there any variance there? Are, Are you dealing with something that anyone trying to sell into a complex market environment would also deal with? Any non-dominant large company in healthcare faces real challenges because the burden of proof is so great. But we have the benefit, at least uh, with our health system partners, in pointing to track records. And that is a very significant leg up over others trying to do the same from the outside. And if someone is interested in buying or selling a disruptive model and would like to contact you, James, where can they find you? Our website is fitzroyhealth.com. I'm happy to take emails from interested relevant parties at jnichols at 
fitzroyhealth.com. Eager to continue to create an ecosystem of, of innovative health systems that are both identified in creating businesses and also, of course, health systems that in need of solutions that have been co-created by other health systems. It has been a pleasure having you on the podcast today, James. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. For those of you who are interested, and if you work for or with health systems, you likely will be, on Ask an Expert number six coming up, I speak with James Nichols about the Fitzroy Health Study looking at 1,400 health system healthcare services deals, what worked, what didn't work, and the main takeaways. So spoiler alert, that'll be out in about a week. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week, the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.